Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the first episode, the debut episode of the That's So Mets podcast. The name that makes the most sense. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, and joining me is my co-host, our first show together, Joe DeMeo. Joe, how are we, man? We're doing awesome, Connor. So excited to be doing this. Yeah, it's going to be great. Obviously, this is definitely uh, new for me as somebody that's always done football content, scouting content specifically, also covering college football in the NFL. But for you, I know you've done a lot of baseball podcasts as a guest You obviously do a ton of content, a lot of written content for SNY, and I think this is just going to be a really interesting collab between us because obviously with your draft knowledge around baseball, but also just the passion we have about following the Mets, which um, can be difficult at times, but I think it's a passionate fan base as a whole, and I think it's an opportunity for us. Uh, to really explore, you know, just the Mets podcasting world, not just as a seasonal approach, but year round. And I know you had a lot of thoughts of why you were so interested in doing this as well when I approached when I broached the topic to you. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to be doing this. And like you said, we're going to be going at this year round. This is not going to be a podcast that just covers the Mets while they're playing. We're going to cover the offseason, all the moves that they make. You know, we'll, we'll hop on if they somehow make a significant signing, which hasn't really been their thing. But if, if they make a significant signing of some kind, we will, you know, certainly hop on and do an emergency podcast with that. But what's exciting to me is I, I've covered the Mets for 15 years now. And like you said, I've, I've done podcast appearances. I write for SMY TV. I haven't written for him in a little bit, but I still contribute with Darren over at the seven line and yeah, man, just super excited to get started. And you and I have been in each other's DMS for a couple of years now, just shooting the stuff on the Mets here. And, uh, just excited that to get someone like you to, to do it re- really was big for me. Um, with certainly, I mean, you're following, you know, mainly you know, a lot of football, the football coverage you do, but you know, a diehard Mets fan, and I just thought it was a natural fit. And I think that's what it is for me. I'm just a Mets fan, right? Like, what I do full-time is football, football scouting. Obviously, for people that don't know me, I work at Bleacher Report. I do the Stick to Football podcast, and I am a diehard Mets fan. And I feel like every time I had a question, a lot of questions about, obviously, you know, their farm system, uh, around the draft because this Mets team has has sat through rebuilds and retools at times and I always go to Joe always have questions for him about that and this is a pivotal time in the franchise's history with the sale it, it's what dominates the news I think more so 
I mean, you can ask any Met fan, and I think 90% of them would take this season as an absolute flop in return if that meant getting Steve Cohen to own the team. Now, I'm not saying everybody wants Steve Cohen to own the team, but it feels like a majority of the fan base, at least on Twitter and social media as a whole, is looking ahead to not necessarily this potential postseason in this short, bizarre season, but the future of this franchise because they've been quite simply cash-strapped for quite some time. It's been a problem, whether that means losing players to free agency, not being as active as they were in free agency. I mean, when I was a kid, this was a team that went out and would go get players, right? Would sign a Carlos Beltran, would sign Tom Glavin, would make big trades. And that really has, they have not operated like a big market team for quite some time. And with new ownership, whoever that may be, this is a chance for a lot of positive change with this franchise. And I think in the early goings of this show, that's something that you and I are going to not only discuss a lot, but really cover a lot with various guests and thoughts and analysis. Yeah, absolutely. The, the sale is definitely one of the biggest things to happen to the Mets in, in quite some time. As you referenced, you know, in the mid-2000s when they were signing Carlos Beltran, trading for Carlos Delgado, and making all those other moves that they did with Bernie Madoff's money, and <laughs> and then when, and then when Bernie Madoff's money went away, all of a sudden, you know, they fell into kind of this rebuild slash can't really spend slash will spend on one to two year deals only exclusively, and you know the sale is just an opportunity I think for just change. Uh, we we don't really know what any what Steve Cohen will do. The assumption is this guy is $15 billion. He loves the bets. Uh, he's already a partial owner, and he's going to come in and spend like the Yankees. And, you know, maybe he will. And, you know, that could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing in, in some ways, right? I mean, you could foolishly spend, but, you know, certainly having the ability to would, would make a big difference. And with A-Rod and J-Lo, we don't, we don't know. The, the idea certainly is that you know, they're kind of scraping to just get the capital to even purchase the team. If that's the case, then, you know, you certainly have some questions as to, you know, are they going to be able to put the gas in the car that they just bought? But it, it's it's still a new day, a new dawn. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to see how it shakes out. And like you mentioned with guests, uh, I think next week, should, should we say it? I, I don't know. Next week, we're going to have a pretty special guest, I think, to talk about the sale. Yeah, we could build the surprise. Maybe we'll tease it on Twitter in a couple days. But when you look yeah. at this, it, there's always drama with the Mets, too. Like, this sale has not been, you know, just a we woke up and it's like, wow, the the news is true. The Mets are, are going to be sold to Steve Cohen. And, like, at the time, nobody had seen that coming. There was no buzz or lead up. And then when it fell apart and now he's back in. I mean, everybody listening to this knows the timeline. It's been dramatic, and it continues to be dramatic, and the potential element of surprise in this, I mean, my gut feeling and and ultimate thoughts are that Steve Cohen will own this team. I know you've been, not pessimistic, but neutral, somewhere in the middle, because there are hurdles, and once again, these are things that we are going to discuss on this show, that we're going to see what happens, but... As a Mets fan, I'm excited about the idea or the flexibility of a Steve Cohen-owned Mets franchise to spend money because, and I think this is something that 
you can comment on very, very well, Joe, because you cover you definitely cover the draft from a Mets perspective, but you cover the draft from a league wide one as well. In my fan eyes, I think the Mets have actually drafted somewhat well in the last decade or so, maybe eight years or so, where the problem with the team actually seems to be not having the ability to fill holes with dollars to an extent, right? I'm not saying they're out here spending $70 million on their payroll each year, but they have not operated like a big market team that can go out and, you know, fill that one big position player need they have with a $100 million contract. They can't keep a Zach Wheeler or even entertain the idea of keeping a Zach Wheeler to have their young homegrown rotation. What are your thoughts on how the Mets have drafted in this last decade and what that payroll flexibility can really do for them with a new owner? They've made significant strides drafting. It's certainly real recent. It's been awesome. But when Sandy Alderson came on as general manager, he brought along Chad McDonald to be the scouting director who really was a driving force behind the Brandon Nimmo selection. And, of course, Paul DePodesta, who went to the NFL, which I certainly I don't think either of us probably saw coming no, when it not. happened. <laughs> Um, but Paul Paul D. Podesta certainly ha- had a big focus on, it, and he was the original guy that you know really changed how the Mets fill. Wow, I can't even say fill. Wow, I can't say the word, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> how, how their philosophy changed. Um, but then they got. He also brought in Tommy Tanis from Toronto, who is now the vice president of scouting, and Tommy and Mark Tremuda and all of the area scouts do an amazing job. And once Brody came on, I know everyone just likes to crap on Brody. It's it's easy, right? I mean, he's certainly <laughs> given ammo. But Tommy, Mark, all these guys say the Mets aren't drafting the way they have the last couple years without Brody. Brody came in and he said, look, I'm willing to, you know, no offense to a lot of guys, but sacrifice a percentage of our draft get let's get quality over quantity so that's why last year they said all right you know brett Beatty, josh wolf and then of course the gem matt allen yeah the big in one. my opinion the big one so getting matt allen once matt allen fell out of the first round i was fully convinced he was going to florida he was not going to get drafted until the 24th round by some team and just go to college but all of a sudden, I'm listening to the feed on MLB.com, and I hear the New York Mets draft Matthew Allen, right-handed pitcher. I'm like, let me just double-check there's not a different Matthew Allen, because yeah, right. this doesn't it's make a, sense. It's a common we're, name, we're, too, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, well, let me just double-check. And lo and behold, it was him, and I started reaching out to some people I know, and I'm like, are, are the Mets going to sign this guy? Are they going to be able to sign Josh Wolf and Beatty? And then, as you saw, the, the rest of the draft, they – for the top 10 rounds, which is really where your bonus pool is uh, calculated from. They went college seniors the rest of the way. And unfortunately in baseball, being a senior is kind of a detriment because the team kind of has you up against the wall and they say, do you want to turn pro? Then you will take $20,000, $15,000, $10,000, and we'll take you. And you use that as saving of your slot space and that's how they were able to pay Matt Allen and go to this year and they did it again. Uh, 
grabbing Pete Crow Armstrong in the first round, which, awesome pick. I think he was probably the best available player at the time, so I, I commend them by being able to go best available in the first round and still being able to execute landing a guy like JT Ginn in the second round, which was another major coup, especially in this year they had the five-round format, so you had less rounds to really spread out your money and say, all right, we're going to you know borrow from here to pay here. You had less picks to do that with. So being able to pull off Pete Crow Armstrong, followed by JT Ginn, and then grabbing Isaiah Green, who the Mets had inside their top 30 players on their draft board, and being able to sign all three, you know, that's that takes agent work. I don't, I don't know how else to put it, right? I mean, Tommy and the staff, they do the scouting. They know who's good. But Brody has put forth the plan of let's get the best players we can, and we're going to go quality over quantity. So, you know, our fourth round pick and our eighth round pick, if it ends up expanding to 10, like I expect going forward, you know, we'll, we'll sacrifice those guys to make sure that, you know, we get a premium guy because let's be very clear. If JT Ginn didn't blow out his elbow and get Tommy John in March, JT Ginn would not have been available when the Mets took Pete Crow Armstrong, let alone in the second round. He, he, super high upside, number two type starter potential, but no, the, the drafting is awesome. The farm is making strides. I know Brody has traded away a whole bunch of guys, which have which have certainly uh, delayed some of the you know jump in the prospect rankings for whatever that really matters to you. But drafting wise, I I can't complain. For me, it's super exciting because I love seeing them grab you know this high level talent. Yeah, from a scout's perspective, it's a dream, right? When you look at Brody handling financials in a way that at least from my eyes, seems extremely uncommon, especially now I have a better grasp of how the slot system works. Like you said, they are trying to restock this farm system or have actively restocked this farm system by adding premium players. And when you and the baseball draft system is, honestly, this year's different, but the typical baseball draft system is fascinating to me with how long it is, how many players are involved. But at the end of the day, no matter how many millions of rounds there are, most teams come out of it and go, hey, you know, hopefully we get, what, a handful of players that, like, what would a successful draft be to you in terms of guys that actually even sniff the majors? If I could, in in the 40-round format, let's pretend we're doing 40 rounds again, if I got five big leaguers i'd feel like i did a pretty awesome job yeah that's a high fail yeah. rate. that's an insane fail rate an insane fail yeah. rate and i say this with the nfl all the time you know I'll, I'll call a draft that had three players stick a great draft and and people are like why do you, they had three guys sticking it's like yeah well from a gm's eye if you get two starters out of a normal draft like you could stay afloat for a long time because the miss rate's so high in baseball the emphasis on that and how significant the fail rate is you know, for the Mets and the guys they took, like you just highlighted, when you look at, you know, obviously the arms they've drafted that were way out of their expected draft slots, you know, a guy like Isaiah Green, these are guys that they, they think can be star players, not just, you know, maybe bench players, maybe fourth or fifth kind of starters. A lot of these players that they've taken in the Brody era feels like, they're going for actual premium players at their positions. 
Yeah, I, I like to say, you know, they're they're going for broke, right? It's all right, well, you know, we're we're only gonna like you said, with the fail rate, like we're gonna miss on, you know, a high percentage of these picks that we're gonna make. So on the ones that we're gonna focus on here, let's let's just really go for it, right? I mean, Brett Beatty, really high upside. Josh Wolf, high upside. He's been compared to Lance McCullers from the Astros. Uh, Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline compared him there. Matt Allen is your prototypical, you know, if, if it all pans out, number two type starter with plus fastball, plus plus breaking ball, uses Rapsido and, and all the new age analytical things to work on his spin rate. So like they're, they're drafting the right kind of guys for sure. And I even want to give a little shout out to their first of their uh, college senior signs from last year, Jake Mangum, who I think goes a little under the radar. He's this guy was the all-time SEC hits leader of all time. And they grabbed him as a senior in the fourth round after drafting him. They, the Mets actually drafted him as a junior as well. And he said, I'm going back going back to college, and I'm, I'm going to do my senior year. And the Mets ended up picking him again. And, you know, this is a guy that, like you said, that fourth outfielder type player, but he's a guy that they got for that senior sign discounted price but for the most part they're they're going for broke and it's an interesting strategy because obviously it's a lot of high school kids right so i mean Beatty was a high school pick josh wolf was a high school pick Pete Crow armstrong's a high school pick isaiah green's a high school pick the rate of high school players busting is higher than that of college players so you're you're certainly assuming some risk but the upside is through the roof and I think the more that I've thought about it and I've really kind of altered my own personal perception the last couple of years that I think this is the way to do it. Why just try to, you know, be solid throughout the draft? Why not for those couple big leaguers that you're going to get, try to make them impact instead of, all right, well, we got a solid regular and a fourth outfielder. Let's, let's give it a shot if we could get an impact regular and a number two or three starter that that's a big difference right absolutely and what I like about it is if you do transition into a team with a higher payroll you can afford to miss right like if you miss mm -hmm. on a, a Brett Beatty and I don't know if he'll stick at third I, you know I think we need we have a lot more time before we we uh, can decide on that and obviously first base has been blocked up by the Mets yeah. and, and DH is its own thing but that's another conversation. If you miss on a guy like that, you have the payroll, you know, to maybe go get a third baseman or to pay a J.D. Davis when that time comes. Things like that where you can take on more risk. So I think this is a good transition period because having all of that knowledge of the farm system, a lot of people are sitting here wondering. I would say they're actually just more afraid, and I, I would fall under the afraid category. <laughs> Will Brody make a trade deadline move in a year where you could be renting a player for potentially 27 games, which is, or whatever, you know, the number can vary, but yeah. say 30, sure. right around there. The number yeah. can vary. The doubleheader of crazed Mets, who the hell knows. But when you look at it, everybody's sitting, and Ken Rosenthal had a really good article on The Athletic that you sent me, you know, talking about this a lot. But everybody's wondering, is Brady, Brody going to make a move? Are the Wilpons... Um, you know, do they feel influenced to make a move because this is their last crack at things? The team is getting sold. We know that. There's not going to be any more hang-ups. 
number one, what is your gut feeling on this? And number two, what were the, the sticking points of Ken's article that really jumped out to you? I hope he does nothing. Me too. Like, I, I want him just to Me stand too. pat. I don't, he, he doesn't even need to sell. Like, I mean, not that they have a ton to sell, but I, I don't want him to sell. I just want him to stay pat. Let's play with the team we got for the rest of 2020, move into the new ownership and just just keep it keep it at that keep all the prospects especially ones that you drafted Brody keep your own guys and let's just move on to the you know new ownership and as far as Ken's article like you said couple sticking points to me was one that Brody's potentially looking to save his job by making a trade now that's terrifying however terrifying however if you look at it from this perspective, if he wants to keep his job, maybe he shouldn't do something stupid like trade Matt Allen for Mike Clevenger, you know, or using just using Matt Allen and something for Clevenger as an example. Like maybe he shouldn't be selling off the future if he's looking at, you know, I want to get another opportunity with A-Rod and J-Lo or the Harris and Blitzer group or Steve Cohen, whoever ends up owning the team. He should be saying... I need to keep these pieces in place. I really doubt the new owner is going to determine my fate based on how the team does in a 60-game sprint. I just, I, I think the logical thing is to play it smart and say, hey, whoever owns the team when, because ultimately he's going to meet with whoever the new owner is, probably to you know determine his job fate. I'm going to say, look, guys, I, I understand the criticisms that I got for the Jared Kelnick and Edwin Diaz trade, which I'm sure we'll bring up plenty of times on this podcast. And, you know, the criticism for a Marcus Stroman trade, which a little unfair in my eyes. I mean, it was a fine trade at the time. Who knew that, you know, COVID was going to strike. But, you know, he could say, look, when it came down to it here in this last year, I kept the future pieces in place. This is my future vision. This is how I've drafted. I think I earn the opportunity to to get another go of it and I think that's that's his best chance right um, but also you have the kind of counter to Ken's original point so it's like broken into three paragraphs sort of right so like the first group is you know the Mets might be a surprise buyer or then you go to the second point where it's the new owners are involved apparently that's huge, that one uh, which i had no idea i mean th yeah th this is my this is my first time going through an ownership change so like i i did i don't know all the all the rules and that's why we're going to bring a couple experts on as, as this process goes through to kind of inform us and our listeners you know more as to kind of how this wholesale process works but apparently the new owner is has a say in moves uh, the old owner of the Marlins, I believe, Samson tweeted that, you know, in an ownership change, they will not permit you to take on future payroll or trade prospects. So basically Steve Cohen and A-Rod's group and Harrison Blitzer are going to say, hey, look, you're not spending my money now, Fred and Jeff, because who's to say they don't say we'll take on Giancarlo Stanton's money. That's a ridiculous. Right? Yeah, and, that's exactly right. It's, that's that's obviously an extreme example, but, but that can happen in yeah. the baseball world. Yeah, and if they do that, then the Wilpons essentially are spending the next owner's money. 
So they don't want you to kind of impact how they're going to run the team. And I think that is a huge point. And I think that's really kind of what drives me towards, I think he'll end up staying pat. And I think we're just going to be scared up until the trade deadline because who knows if he could somehow swindle something. But like even a lower level trade, like I don't care who starts the rest of the games. Let Franklin Kilome start. I don't really care. Don't you don't need to go get Brett Anderson and give up even an okay prospect. Every prospect should stay. Straight up, that should be it. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I, I mean there's just no reason to do it unless I guess if you made like a, a Stroman kind of move where it's like, okay, this guy can help us now and he's also gonna be a piece for our very suspect looking rotation next year. But that would have to that costs more because of team control. Mm-hmm. And yep. the reality of it is, I'm with you, they shouldn't be giving up. They shouldn't be paying a premium price for anyone right now. And also, I mean, this is something that we're going to discuss between us and with a lot of guests. But whoever, you know, gets ownership of this team, it's going to be curious what Brody's role is in all of this. And I know you've told me before that you're like, wow, it's, it's tough to move on from Brody by the time the sale goes through when you're in December, right? And you look at it like that. If the new owners do want to move on from Brody, it probably won't be a snap of the fingers kind of move. So I think, you know, that could play into it a little bit. They're going to have to work together. I think Brody is a smart enough guy to realize that if he wants a chance to be a long-term part of this franchise in the role that he has as GM right now, he's going to obviously have to work directly with the owners which is something he'll be used to because it feels like the Wilpons have a hand on every single move the Mets yeah. <laughs> do or don't make. And it's it's going to be crazy. And it's crazy to think the next time we do a show will be the last time we're talking right before the final bids come through and essentially we should know who the new owner will be. And like we said, we're going to have a we're going to have a great guest on that's been following this story that's really going to cover the entire thing. Uh, before all the news leaks out of how the final bids did. But it's it's going to be really, really crazy. And whatever happens, it is definitely going to give a new... I, I just think the Mets, for being a New York baseball team, and one that they've had success. It's, I mean, this team was in the World Series in 2015. It's crazy how quick yeah. we are to forget that. Like, I'm yeah. not going to make this show a uh, take jabs at the Yankees show. That's not what I'm going to do. But the Mets <laughs> were the last New York baseball team to be in a World Series. And it, yeah, they just still true. feel low budget at times with a lot of things. And it's just very frustrating. And I do think there's a lot of reason for optimism that comes with this changing of ownership. I agree. And I think what's also going to help Brody is he's a bit of a salesman, right? I mean, he's an agent. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, so he's a salesman. I think he's going to be able to sell himself on the new owner, whoever it may be that he should get another shot. And I know everyone listening to this, because I see you in my Twitter mentions, I see you. You know, Brody needs to go. That's going to be the first move that Steve Cohen or whoever does, Brody has to go. Well, I'm I'm going to urge you to pump the brakes on that take. And, you know, I, I understand the anti-Brody crew. It, it, it makes 100% sense. Uh, he's he's not done a lot of great. They have their he's points. He's done a couple... <laughs> Yeah, no, they, they have their points. It's it's not too hard to do. But, 
you know, like, like you just said, Connor, the sale. So the bidding ends on mo next Monday on the 31st. And that's when final bids are due. Who knows when it's going to leak, you know, who the winning bid is. I would guess it won't be right away. Like, I don't think this time next week we're going to be, we're going to know who the next Mets owner is going to be. But if I had to guess, it'll probably be sometime in September. You know, it'll leak out and we'll find out. But the whole approval process, which is what everyone's oh so worried about with Steve Cohen, that's not going to happen until November. That The approval for that happens at the yearly owners meetings that, that they have every November. And the only kind of case that I have for that is the Royals. They were sold, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but whenever the Royals were sold, they agreed in August with uh, the new owner and he wasn't officially the owner until November. So if you're looking at November, the off season has already started and the new owner's not going to come in and day one say, I'm blowing this up right now and we're going to change everything from the top down. They're going to say, look, it's what any smart business person would do is I'm coming in, I'm going to basically leave things as is. Maybe he'll make some subtle changes, but I think he, whoever the owner will be, will basically leave things mostly intact, if I had to guess, for a year. But let me tell you, in that year, everyone's ass is on the line. You know, he, you're, you're now trying to uh, appease a new owner. You're not trying, you're not being able to do the same song and dance that, you know, got you through with Fred and Jeff Wilpon. You're dealing with a new person or people with, new perspectives and I think that's that's going to be a, a big factor but I do think you will see Brody whether it's GM or a different title or whatever I think Brody will be in a position of authority next next year and frankly I mean I'm, I'm worried about his trades of course but I'm kind of interested interested to see how much he can use his agent background to his advantage with a with a firm budget of being able to being able at least having the option to go after a premier player like he hasn't even had that option i mean who, who's the biggest name that brody has Man. signed a, as a free agent like he he took on some of cano's money and got edwin diaz but as far as just signing a free agent is the biggest name wilson ramos yeah it would be. I think Pro so. Probably. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I so mean, Batanzas, I mean, kind of. Yeah, Batanzas. But what what's the common denominator in all these things? One-year deal, two-year deal, one year with a couple options yep. in Batanzas' place. deals. That is what the Wilpons don't have money, <laughs> basically, enforces. That's what you have to do. And for all the people on Twitter that I see... They paid Rick Porcello $10 million and Michael Waka $3 million and all that where they could have signed Zach Wheeler for 20-whatever, 22 or whatever it was. And the answer to that is in in baseball, and I don't know if football is the same, but in baseball, you know, if you're going to issue this deal, you put that money in escrow, right, with the league. Absolutely. You know, you, ha you have to have the money to show that you're going to be able to pay $125 million to Zach Wheeler. You can't just say, yeah, 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 we'll do it. Don't worry about it. You know, you have to show that you can do it. And the Wilpons just, I mean, it's obvious. Look at, look at all the reports coming out about their debt. They did not have the money to pay him, to pay the $125 million. 
it's so, two totally I mean, different ball it's crazy. games. Yeah, it's two totally yeah. different markets of the hey, we have twenty million dollars for for one year contracts here versus handing out a mega contract. And the Wheeler contract in terms of baseball deals we've seen in recent years, sure, it's a nice one. I, I mean, it's not Anthony Rendon, obviously things like I you know, there's tons of deals. Stanton, Machado, there's millions of different yeah. examples. Yeah. The Mets have not sniffed that uh, – they have not sat at that table. They have not even looked over at that table in quite some time, honestly. They just no. – they, they haven't. Yeah. And like you, you make a great point there, Joe, is that the money is just – it's different when you're talking about that amount of time, that amount of years. Of course, some teams really pile on with deferments, uh, deferred payments, but it, it'll be very different. And I'm with you. I mean, Brody has his problems, and you know, I'm sure most people listening to this are not fans of Brody. He has made plenty of bad moves that you can criticize him for, and I will not sit here and say you're wrong or or even really bite back. I'm with you that I I would be curious to see what kind of pull he can have because just because you have the budget, not everybody can convince uh, players to come play in New York and cannot yeah. na- the- navigate the market like hey do i have to pay this guy 160 million or do i know what other teams are going to pay him that's a big part of this game and i think it should be a strength of brody so I-, I would be curious i would be surprised if he's here for the long term but i am curious at what he can do with a real budget yeah and like you said the yankees have had trouble bringing in big time free agents i know it's like it's not easy yeah, like it's it's they've struggled i mean they got garrett cole but how many how many times have the Yankees struck out in the last few years? Patrick Corbin yeah. was supposed to be a shoe yeah, in. Shoe in. But, you know, like you said, I think his agent background should be helpful. I don't think he's here for a long haul. I, I totally agree there. But I, I think he is in, in it for at least one more year and then we'll kind of see see where, where the Mets go. Cause guess what? If the Mets win a World Series in 2021, I'm not kicking the GM out the door. You know, I'm, that's yeah, that's fine. Can. Yeah, he, yeah, he you literally yeah can. he could he could hang around. That's fine. But I'll tell you, his relationship with JT Real Muto. You know, everyone makes the jokes about CAA because he certainly signed a bunch of CAA players. But he represented JT Real Muto, who's going to be a free agent, and he's the best catcher in baseball. And Wilson Ramos has been a big time disappointment this season. I mean, his bat was good last year, his glove not so much, but he's been a major disappointment on both sides of the ball. So, if you want JT Real Muto as a Met, you know, obviously the owner needs to show the money, but if you're looking for that kind of inside track, having his former agent isn't a bad place to start. Yeah, that would probably be number 1 on my uh my wish list. Either him, you know, Bauer. Yeah, one once Mookie, once Mookie yeah. re-signed with the Dodgers, that was, that was that was the dream, right? The dream was Mookie's Mets and all that, all the fun puns that you could th- that you can make off his name. But uh, right now, you know, you're looking at JT Realmuto, Trevor Bauer. I mean, it's not a crazy strong free agent class. Uh, George Springer, if you're into any Astros players post sign <laughs> stealing, um, but yeah, it's not a it's not a crazy strong class. But it, it'd be nice to see them actually with a new ownership group come in and you know foray into into the water with the big fishes a little bit and yeah. like scott boris has always made the joke that you know the mets are shopping in a clearance yes. aisle and and things like that like you know it's time to you know 
get to the butcher or whatever part of the store is more money. Like, go there. <laughs> well, and I also think that one of the most underrated things is, and this should be a real fear if the ownership change was not happening, because for a while we, we did not see this coming. We were not aware of this. this these discussions yeah. were not made public at all. There was a real fear with me that some of the young players that they have a part of this core that will be free agents in a year or two would walk. And that includes Michael Conforto, who I I still think is, you know, I know he has his stretches of slumps like most human beings that play baseball do. I still think he's a great young outfielder. Um, And obviously, you know, Cindergaard is the most interesting one to me after missing this year. He's had his great highs. He's had some lows. It's all over the place. He's still a guy I would, I would invest money into and bet on for the future. I think those things really matter with this team where you can't lose a Michael Conforto. That creates a giant hole in the lineup. It creates a giant hole in right field. You know, you can't, with the way this rotation looks, you can't really lose a Noah Syndergaard. Thank God they got the DeGrom deal done. But it's it's interesting for me. Of course, we're going to talk about the external market. It's what gets us excited. It's what gets fans excited. But their internal free agents are just as vital in all of this. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I Michael Conforto is one of the best players on this team, and I think he goes underappreciated by some percentage of the fan base because, like you said, his inconsistencies a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, he, he has his ups and downs like every player, like you said. So, But Conforto's, to me, he's a key cog, and, you know, the market for players is rising. You know, Michael Conforto's going to get $100 million. He's 27. Like, yeah, he's going to get a hundred and something million dollars and you're just going to let him walk. I mean, uh, you, you have to be able to determine, you know, pieces of your core. Like I, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, so I'm going to sort of relate it to how Jerry Jones handles things a little bit is you don't see a core piece of the Dallas Cowboys ever leave. No, at least at a young age when they get older. Sure. But they don't let core pieces go. You know, the pieces around the edges, even if they're good players like Byron Jones, you know, you you have to lose good players eventually. But in baseball, you know, without the salary cap and, you know, you have the luxury tax, which, you know, obviously is something. But with without a salary cap, there's no excuse to not keep basically all your core players in a New York market. You know, we're not we're not the Kansas City Mets. We're not the Tampa Bay Mets. We're not the Pittsburgh Mets. You know, we, we shouldn't be selling off guys. Like, you know, Michael Conforto and his walkie are selling them off for a couple prospects. No, no, no. You pay Michael Conforto before he even gets to his walkie and you say, what's it going to take? Let's lock you down now. And that's got to be a priority of ownership. You know, signing Conforto specifically, I, I'm with you. Syndergaard, I, let's see how he comes back from Tommy John, but certainly he's a guy that, you want to consider keeping for the long term because let me tell you, I'm deathly afraid of Noah Syndergaard leaving and winning two Cy Youngs with the Astros or something, right? Totally. Like, I'm deathly, I'm deathly afraid of seeing that happen. So you know, see how he comes back and if you're, he's worth paying. But yeah, to your point, gotta be able to pay more than just your franchise players because they've done that. They paid Degrom, uh, they paid David Wright they paid at, at the time. Yeah, at the time, Cespedes was really a franchise guy, right? Like, I mean, we look we look back at how that contract went, not so fondly, but 
Cespedes carried them to the World Series in 2015 for the most part. I mean, Daniel Murphy did. in the playoffs was, was huge, but Cespedes carried this team, and he was a key cog here, so they kind of had to pay him. Um, but, yeah, they, they need to be able to take care of people that are not not just franchise players, just a tick below. Like, Conforto's not necessarily like the Mets' franchise piece. You know, Pete Alonso is, Jacob deGrom is, but... Conforto's, you know, just a small tick below, and he, sh- I would be very upset if he was was not here for the long term. Yeah, you just can't, you just can't lose those kind of players while building a core. And let's not, I mean, this is obviously a great question for you, but in my eyes, this is not a farm system that is loaded with outfield talent right now. I mean, sure, they just drafted two that are are very young kids. We're not going to see them for a very long time. This is not a system that in a year or two has all these outfield uh, bats coming up ready to make an impact. And they're a team, I mean, if you need it, they're a team too that just keeps throwing players in left field that are not left fielders. So it's just, it's not a system, you know, that sure they've definitely restocked the pitching a little bit, but it's not a, a system that has MLB ready arms right now where you can afford to lose you know, more frontline starters and, and outfielders. Right. I think it's a system that has had plenty of shortstops that guys that could also play second base. We've seen that with Jimenez, a couple third basemen, obviously, you know, hopefully some big bats and, and a catcher that's very young, but, um, yeah. but would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I, the farm system is trending in the right direction, but I mean, if you just go look through their top 10, 15 prospects, most of them are a ball kids, right? So like you said, this is this is not a system with guys that are going to make an impact particularly soon. So Francisco Alvarez, the catcher you referenced, love him. If I had to wager on one prospect in the system that will make an all-star team in his big league career, I'd wager on Francisco Alvarez. I think he's completely the real deal, but he played in rookie ball last year and he's 18 years old. <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, it's not it's like he's, it's not like he's coming. Yeah, so you could go sign JT Rail Muto to a four-year deal or whatever, a five-year deal, and you know, Rail Muto probably won't catch for all five years. He'd have to move off the position at some point, and then you know you'll have Alvarez kind of ready to go. Uh, but yeah, there's no outfielders coming anytime soon. It's really not any infielders coming anytime soon after Jimenez and. The arms that are coming in the near future, you know, guys like Kevin Smith, you know, you're looking at Franklin Kilome, who we've seen a little bit of, you're looking at back end rotation pieces. You're not looking at premium guys like David Peterson's pitched great for the Mets. And even, you know, he's even pitching a little above what my expectations were. So it's, it's not, it's not a great farm system if you're looking for very near term results. But for the long-term game, I think they have, you know, certainly plenty of talent. Which is, it's wild how the Mets keep getting these pitchers that are are overachieving. I mean, going even all the way back to when Harvey was great. Like, Harvey was labeled as like, hey, he'll probably be like a number three. And then he pitched like one of the, you know, top arms in baseball for a while before injuries just completely ravaged him. But uh, obviously, really fun debut show. We got into a lot of the moving parts of the team with the sale. We got into a lot of the farm system, the state of the farm system. That's not always going to be the case on this show. This show will cover the Mets week to week, uh, highs and lows, performances, obviously game recaps, game lookaheads, 
trade deadline recaps, tons of offseason stuff when we get there. But this show will focus on the actual games going on. And, and like we said, we're going to have some interviews for you guys. It's going to be really fun. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you need to go. Uh, follow the Twitter account so you never miss a new show. That's at That's So Mets Pod. Joe, closing thoughts from you. I'm just really excited to get started, man. It, it's It's been a long time coming for kind of me to have a podcast. Uh, I think a few years back, I tried one and just, you know, it didn't work out. Uh, but I'm so excited to really get going and just be able to give my opinions on the Mets in kind of long form outside of writing. So there's certainly always a difference in what I'm going to say and versus what I write. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. And I think this is, <laughs> I think it's going to be awesome. We're going to, like you said, we're going to be doing this all year. We're going to cover all the offseason moves the Mets make. We're going to cover the games. I mean, we will have talked about today's game. I don't I don't even know if it's back. I don't have a TV where I am, but they were in a rain delay, so I, I have no idea. All I know is Rick Porcello was getting shelled. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I'm excited for just everything. And then, you know, when we're a long ways from it, but when next June comes around and the MLB draft comes around, I assure you, you will not get better MLB draft coverage than where you're going to get here on the That's So Met podcast. I completely agree. I'm beyond excited. By then, I'll be cooled off from the NFL draft, and I'm just going to ask yep. you 9 million MLB draft questions that <laughs> I know the listeners will want to hear as well. So I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and catch us next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.